Hey, I want to thank you for checking out uh, the sermons at Coastal Community Church online. And uh, we are really happy to make these available to you uh, for your spiritual nourishment. But one of the things we have a deep conviction of is that we hope that these sermons are a supplement to your spiritual growth, but also a supplement to you having a home church. And so if uh, you do not live in this area, we would really encourage you uh, to join with a local church where you can serve the Lord together alongside of other believers. Uh, if you don't have a local church and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to have you check out Coastal Community Church. We have uh, three services, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and we'd love for you to join us at one of those services. All right, so this weekend I got a chance, as you did, to celebrate one of the best holidays, right? We got, I, I know it's exciting. I, I didn't know there were so many people who celebrated Boxing Day, right? You know, I mean, I, I celebrate Boxing Day. It's exciting, but but the thing about Boxing Day is it's a, it's a holiday. You're probably like, what in the world? It has nothing to do with Muhammad Ali or has nothing to do with Rocky Marciano, okay? Nothing to do with that. But what Boxing Day is, it is a time um, when back in the Middle Ages, okay, the, these lords, these masters of these massive mansions, okay, they would have feasts and they would have all of this, this great festivities on Christmas Day. Well, in order for all of that to actually happen, they had to have servants there working on Christmas Day. Okay, now these were not indentured people. These were people who had, had lives, had families, had homes, um, but they had to work all Christmas Day. And so what they would do, the next day on the 26th, the masters would let them off to go back to their families, and they would give them a box full of leftovers from the feast and, and some items and things like that that they knew that the families could use um, throughout the year and stuff like that. So therefore, they would box them up and give it. And it transitioned from that uh, to, to in, in Britain is what they would do is anybody who had to work on Christmas or who was a, a, a servant-style person on Christmas, um, folks would just give them a box full of goodies. And then it's kind of just morphed into cash, and I don't know what they do now, okay? But I, you know, I celebrated Boxing Day by burning all of my boxes, okay? That's what I did. I'm a good redneck boy, and that's what I did, as I burned my boxes. Thank you very much. I love it. But, you know, it, here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit about an amazing gift that was given to us by our master, you know, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a, a gift that, that means so much more than just leftovers. We're going to look at a gift that means so much more than something I can just use for a little while. We're going to look at a, a gift that is lasting and forever. And in order to do this, I want to use the Old Testament, okay? I want to use the Old Testament because I love it. As a kid, I actually was scared to death anytime somebody says, let's turn to the Old Testament. I was like, oh. They're going to make me do something, read, and I can't pronounce those stinking names. You know, Leviticus just scares me to death. I don't understand all that stuff going on. But as I grew older, I started realizing that, you know what? The New Testament is so full of Jesus and so full of the things of the Lord that, that are showing me who Jesus is. And not only that, it's revealing who I really and truly am, that I have fell in love with the Old Testament. Now, I am Joshua Schwartz. I'm the director of student ministries here at Coastal. And I get to, I get to hang out with your 6th through 12th graders. And on Sunday nights, um, I do a Bible study with our high school students. And I can't get them out of the Old Testament, okay? We have gone through First and Second Samuel. We've done a bunch of books. And, and I'm like, okay, we're finished. Let's do something else. And they're throwing out Old Testament books.
books. I'm like, no, can we just do the New Testament just so your parents don't get mad at me? You know, something. But they love it. And we all agreed as we went through the Old Testament, I mean, went through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, that forget Game of Thrones. If they would make that into a movie and do it really well or a TV show, that would be legit, okay? It would be real stuff. So we're going to look at the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to look at uh, five verses, 8 through 12. Let me read it. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josh Heb, Basabeth, the Tekemomite. He was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the mighty men, of three mighty men, was Elijah, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines under his hand, until his hand was weary, and he clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned to him only after, and to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot full of lentils, and the man, men fled from the Philistines. But he took a stand in the midst of the plot. And defended it. And he struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for a chance to be able to open your word, to be able to just to enjoy this time of worship and celebration with, with my family. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I give this time to you. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so that, that's kind of gruesome, right? Here it is, two days after Christmas. It's kind of, you know, we've, we've got a lot of young people in here. But the thing is, is we have to take a passage like this, and we've got to look past the violence. We've got to look past the, the potential gruesomeness that we've had our minds go to. And what we've got to do is we've got to look at there and say, okay, where's Jesus in that passage? And so when we take a moment, and, we, and we're going to find him, and as we take a moment, we get to see this picture of a beautiful gift that God has given us. A beautiful gift. Because you see, God constantly is giving us gifts. He is just continuously and constantly giving us gifts. You know, I'm not a good gift giver. I'm just not. I'm a self-proclaimed horrible gift giver, okay? Um, I, I can't plan celebrations. I just can't. We call Mother's Day in our house the day of great disappointment because of me, okay? It's not because my wife has high expectations. It's just I screw it up, all right? This year for Christmas, I bought my wife a gift, and I was like, oh, I'm super excited with some clothes. And, and I, was, I was like, this is exactly the type of thing she wants, and I was so happy about it. And I'm going along, and I look on, on our floor in our bedroom, and there's the gift. And I'm like, why is it laying on the floor? I thought I put it away. It wasn't because she had already bought it like weeks before. And I, I was like, how in the world can I not figure out the right thing to give her? You know, three quarters of the stuff either goes back because it's the wrong, wrong size, wrong color. She's already got it. I don't know. She doesn't know this. She's probably out there listening right now. But I bought her a pair of tennis shoes, and I was super excited about getting her these shoes. And a week before Christmas, she's talking to her best friend, and she says, you know, the only type of tennis shoes I like is, and she filled in the blank. I was like, ugh. <laughs> Go back to the store, $50 more. Dang it, you know? So I'm a, I'm a horrible gift giver, okay? Horrible gift giver. But you know, unlike my horrible gifts, God loves to pour out his best for us. He loves to. And, and his very first gift ever to us was creation itself. Because creation is where it began for us, for humans. It, it was not where God began, okay? God always was. He already existed. 
You know, he existed prior to the formation of earth. He existed outside of time. His power transcends that. But when he decided to form the earth, he decided that that was the time that he was going to start to conquer and to create. And I put it in that words because he had to conquer something and then create something. We're going to look at that because you see the first verses in Genesis, the first four verses really are an entire picture of the entire story of the Bible. It lays it out right there, foreshadowing. I don't care. It's just right there. And you're like, huh, it is laid out there. So I'm going to read those. I don't have them up on the screen, but I'm going to read them. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God knew from the very beginning that there must be light in this world. He knew that light had to exist from the very beginning. And not only that, he knew that light was good. Light was an amazing thing. It was necessary. It was awesome. But he also knew that light was vastly different than darkness and that those two could not be in the same place. They could not exist in the same realm. And so from the very beginning, we see that he is already pointing our eyes towards Jesus in the very beginning because it was Jesus who said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. He knew we needed light. And this just, this just continues to prove the fact that, that God had a plan from the very moment of creation. And it included his son, Jesus, always. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, understood this, that it's all about Jesus. And a very simple exclamation in chapter 9, he just says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I don't know about you, you know, but it is really hard to, to take something like Jesus and really this picture of just such amazing love, this amazing, this amazing encounter that we have with Jesus at times, and, and to be able to give a complete picture of it to other people. It's just inexpressible. I had a pleasure um, in my life to visit the Grand Canyon twice out in Arizona, twice. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but when I was the first, I was a little kid, you know, and, and, and I just didn't quite grasp everything. I knew it was hot, and I had to do a lot of walking, and donkeys smelled. Okay, that's what I knew, okay? Second time I went, I was in college, and, and I got to spend a little bit more time and enjoy it. But I can remember standing right there on the precipice, right there on the edge, and just looking down into this 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 massive hole, <laughs> this crevice that God created, and just being like, wow, how deep is that? How far across is that? What, and my mind just went to all of these extravagant, extravagant questions. And when I came home, you know, my buddy and I, who we went out there, we came home and people said, what, well, how was it? All I could be like, man, it was cool. And I'm like, really, that's it? And I was like, I, I don't know how to explain it to you. You kind of got to see it. And then, and then when I was older, a few years after that, I was, I was in a hospital room, and I got to, I got to hold my, my first child. I got to hold him, my son, right here in my arms. And all I could do is I could just sit there, and I could just look at him, and I could just smile, right? And, 
and a little tear kind of comes down my face. Actually, probably a lot of tears because the doctor told me to shut up and quit crying and cut the umbilical cord, you know? So I was like, so I was just sitting there. I was just in amazement. And, and, and I was a young father and my, my buddies were all kind of just doing their, still their own thing and living their lives. And they came and they're like, man, what's it like being a dad? And I'm like, it's kind of cool. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know how to explain it. There was just something inside of me. It was just an inexpl- inexplainable and inexpressible gift that was given to me. Jesus is so complete and so full of love for us that, that sometimes, sometimes I just, I pause and I think about him and I just stand back and I just kind of smile. And I just have like a little tear comes down my face. And when people say like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know how to explain that to you. Because I want to, I, I know that, that, that my life has been changed you know, when, when our life is changed by Jesus, we just want to burst it out. And we just want to tell people. And we go up to like our, our, our friends and we're like, man, let me tell you what happened to me. And let me tell you who Jesus is. And they're just looking at you like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. They may smile and nod because they don't quite grasp it until you find another believer who's had their life changed. And then you can communicate with them a little bit more clearly. But you know what? Sometimes we don't even really communicate with them. We just kind of look at them and they, we kind of just grin. Yeah, I got it. How about you? Yeah, I got it. That's cool, right? Yeah, that's cool. We do that because it's inexpressible. So we may try, but we fail to explain those things. But what in the world does this have to do with the verses I read? <laughs> right? What does this have to do with, with the mighty men? Well, you see, see, let me tell you a little bit about these mighty men. All right. These were guys um, that were followers that were generals of King David in the Old Testament. So here's King David. King David was, uh, it's the same David that was David and Goliath. Okay. It's the same guy. So David was ordained by God to be the next king. Well, the only challenge was, is there was already a king. His name was Saul. Saul didn't like that so much. Okay. Saul went a little crazy in the head, started chucking spears at David every once in a while. David decided to leave the palace good choice. And when he left, he took a whole bunch of people with him. And these people he took with him, some of them rose up to be these great leaders and great, great soldiers. And these are his mighty men. These mighty men are like the special ops of the day. Okay. I mean, like this is like Delta Force, Navy SEAL, you know, SEER team, Rangers, all rolled into one. I mean, these are the baddest. That's why Game of Thrones would have nothing on this story, okay? It's good stuff. And so they were able to do whatever David needed them to do, whatever God directed David to do. He were able to do it. They were able to go in the most dangerous situations, the most uh, uh, um, uh, situations where you wouldn't even believe that a victory could happen, and they would be able to go in. That's who these guys are. That's who we're talking about. But the thing is, is we also have to realize that they were all doing things that God had wanted them to do. And if they are the mighty men, then what that means is they are the men of Jesus, so therefore Jesus is mighty. Jesus is the mighty one. And so when I think of mighty Jesus, I think of something that is outside of what I normally think of with Jesus, because there's three Jesuses I usually think of, right? Probably you do too. The first Jesus is the little baby Jesus, right? Sitting over there in the manger, little baby Jesus. Cooing. Let me tell you, I'm going to confess something to you right now. I didn't tell the first group this. I absolutely, and you probably have them in your house, and I'm sorry if you do. I hate the precious moments nativity scene. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about that had the big bobblehead, you know, the cutesy smile. That was not what happened in the manger, right? Okay? It was not precious moments. 
It was a rough time. But you think of baby Jesus. Second Jesus, we think of white robe, walking around, performing miracles, you know, healing little girls, making people be able to walk and see, making mud pies, sticking on people's faces, making them see, you know, stuff like that. That's the Jesus we think of. We all, and then we think of the brutalized Jesus up on the cross. We think of that Jesus. Well, you know, the thing is with that is Jesus is the same from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. He just shows up in different forms. So, so if, if I think of those three Jesuses and I leave out the mighty Jesus that is depicted in Revelation, then I am losing something when I think about Jesus. I'm losing the picture of Jesus coming as a conqueror. I'm losing that. Because you see, from the very beginning, this book right here is completely about Jesus. And oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John said, in the beginning, at the time of creation, in the beginning, there would be the Word. And that Word became flesh. And oh, by the way, that flesh is Jesus. And so that if we call this God's Word, then all we're saying is this is Jesus right here. That's what we're saying. All of God's word, all through this book, we should see Jesus. And let me tell you, if you don't see Jesus when you read a scripture passage, do one of two things. Read it again or keep reading until you find him. Because it is all about him. So Jesus is mighty. Now we know King David. King David in the Old Testament was given to us by God as a picture of who Jesus is. He is not Jesus. I will tell you that right now. David had flaws. David had problems. David sinned. David chose some things that most of us in this room would think was the most awful and heinous things to do. Um, he is not Jesus, but he is a picture at times of who Jesus is. And so D David is there. But the thing is that makes David so special and so appreciated and so loved by God is that before Jesus showed up, David understood the promises of God. He understood everything that was going to come and happen. And so he fully gave himself. He gave everything to him. He committed to God. He was fully in. He was everything there because he understood what was going to happen. And because of that, he was made righteous because of his full submission to God. So the mighty men followed this David. That's who they followed. Somebody who was all in. They followed him because they knew that he was a man of God. They knew that God was on his side and that he was the one directing him. And they, and they knew that, that God had chosen him, but plucked him out and said, you are the leader. And so they followed him. They said, I'm, I'm choosing to do that. They followed him through good times, through bad times, through dangerous situations, through safe situations, through times of plenty, through times of little. They... They, they followed him everywhere. Everywhere. It was their desire to follow him. Because the traits that David showed, the pictures of who he, who, uh, that he showed of the forecoming of Jesus were intoxicating to them. They wanted to be around him. So let's talk about these three guys. Let's talk about these three guys. So the first dude takes a spear, kills 800 people at one time. I don't know about you, but that's pretty stout, Right? I chopped four pieces of wood, and I'm like, give me some iced tea, all right? <laughs> 800 dudes, one spear. That's a lot of cleaning off, right, okay? Let's just figure, think about that. Wave after wave after wave 
of people coming at them and coming at them and coming at them. I can imagine from all sides. They weren't like standing in a row, right? I mean, just picture Russell Crowe, right? And he's just standing there and just boom, boom, they're just coming. That takes a lot of strength, right? That takes a lot of strength to wield a, a, a weapon for that long. You can't be weak. You have to be able to be, be in a position to where you can, you can continue on over and over and over again. And that second guy, he takes a sword. Have you ever seen Jeff's sword in his office? Everybody go, everybody go to his office after this, like all, all 300 of us, okay? Let's just go to his office. Jeff's got this big broad sword. But I don't know what size sword it was. It was probably a little bit smaller based on the, the weapons of the day. But he had this sword, and he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting because everybody left. <laughs> everybody ran away. The verses say that they showed up after the victory was over just to kind of pick the pockets of the guys, right? Okay? And so he's sitting there fighting over and over so much that he was so tired, but he couldn't let go of his sword. He could not let go of his sword. He had perseverance. He had the ability to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Now, the closest thing I have to this in my life, and I'm a pretty pathetic life sometimes, but is, is I, remember I played a lot of baseball. And I can remember being at practice for hours and hours and hours. And I was doing soft toss and batting practice over and over and over. And I would hit the ball, hit the ball hundreds of times. And then the coach would tell us to stop. And all of us are standing there. We still have our bats in our hand. And we don't know why. <laughs> it's because we just spent two hours swinging the stinking thing. Guys who, guys who serve in the armed forces, they tell me that, that when they're in a firefight, sometimes they will raise their weapon and they will just keep firing over and over and over and over and over again until their hand can't get off the grip. They cannot release it because they're just going forward and forward and forward. That's what this guy was doing. He didn't want to stop. He couldn't stop. He couldn't release it. And this third guy, I love him. He's my favorite one. Is my, this guy, if anybody's ever seen or read the books of the Lord of the Rings, the first one, Fellowship of the King, there's a scene where one of the heroes is standing on a bridge and this, this bad guy's coming, okay? This creature is coming and he's standing on the bridge and he just basically says, you shall not pass. Well, that's what this dude did in a field of beans. Field of beans. I can imagine him just sitting there, you know, just saying, nope, not getting past me. And it's an army comes at him. And he says, no, you will not get past me. And he defeats them. And it says that the Lord worked a mighty, a mighty victory that day. He had fortitude. He said, you will, I will not compromise my position. I will not compromise my stance. He had fortitude. You know, it would be, be a great story if I told you that you could, you could rub this, this magical SPF, strength, perseverance, and fortitude, all over your body like lotion, right? Okay? And that you could just go out there and you could do battle in this world. You know, that would be awesome if I tell you that that's it, right? It would be, be great if I told you that, that those three guys are actually us, you know, that those are pictures of us as followers. You know, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if I said, hey, just let's go through the exercise of figuring out which one do you relate to. But you see, that would be incorrect because in all three of these instances, we are not the hero. Jesus is the warrior fighting the battle. Jesus is the warrior in all of those stories. He is the warrior Jesus. As, as a group of Christ followers, you know, we like to make ourselves to be the hero of Bible stories. Because, but this, 
we, we do that because we think this book sometimes is about us, right? That's crazy. We, we like to put ourselves in the idea that we are God. Well, we are not. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is always the hero. He is the one who will, has the strength to defeat the enemies. He has the, the perseverance that lasts in eternity. He, has the, the, he is perfect in every way so that his truth shines and will never, ever be overthrown. It's Jesus. These are all about him, not us. Yeah, we, we, we do battles, right? We fight. We do battles every day. You know, we battle against the flesh. We battle against the world. We battle against the evil one. It comes at us all the time. Yeah, we, there are days that I have when wave after wave of just really bad stuff hits me. Phone calls. Things breaking. Kids having car accidents. Relationships. And I need to have strength. I need to have, I need to have strength because this seemingly endless stream of just attacks just keeps coming. Sometimes I just, I feel like hurt and pain from, from people who I love. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. But I have to, I have to persevere through that. I have to recognize where my, where my love and where my, my, my faith really rests. I need to figure out how I can just keep going without stopping and without giving up. How I can keep doing battle even though I want to stop. Or maybe yet it's the world. The world just keeps telling you to compromise the ideals of the Bible. Maybe, maybe public opinion versus the world, you start to hear it and people start telling you the things that you should believe. And I need to be able to take that stand despite of the feeling the world is crushing down on me. Despite the world telling me that I am wrong, I need to be able to stand and say, you shall not pass. But we can only do these battles we can only do these battles. We can only outlast them. We can only stand tall. We can only do those things because of who Jesus is. That is it. Because the love of him is so amazing, it's about him doing the work, not us. I, I was in college, and I was in a situation where I bumped into this really big dude, okay? I'm big as like 6'8" bench pressing bazillion pounds, monster dude, like no neck. I mean, imagine him, okay? Like this really big guy. Like I hit his navel, I think. You know, it's just this monster of a man. And I, I ran into him, and he didn't like it, and he was ready to just pop my head off. He just go, you know, and go about his day. All right? And I knew it. And so I, I and, but all of a sudden, out of the crowd, behind me, my buddy Pete shows up. Well, Petey is, Petey was about this tall, but he had muscles in places I don't even have places, okay? Like, he was, he was stacked. And P says, you're not going to mess with him. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he was ready just to grab hold of him, too. But then Pete's friends, five more guys come out of the crowd, and they're standing in this row and says, yeah, you're going to mess with us, too. All right, you know what I did? Yeah, that's it. 
What are you going to do now? All right, that's me. All right. Pete promptly turned around and told me to shut up, okay? You know. But I think about that when I think about Jesus and him doing battles for me. Because he comes and he swoops in in front of me and he's the one there doing the fight. And so sometimes I do, I'm like, yeah, but I'm whispering it, you know. Because Jesus has us close to him, wanting us to recognize him for who he is. In Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verse 17, this is what the Bible says. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you with loud singing. Jesus is a warrior. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice with us. He will sing for us. He will sing with us. He is super excited to be in our midst. That's who I want doing battle for me. But, you know, the, the idea of mighty one, you know, mighty one who will save. I, part of me has a challenge with this, okay? Part of me has a challenge with the word to save, okay? Because I've had a chance in my life not that I chose it, but I've had a chance in my life to save somebody, you know, from, from dying. And, and I don't really want to always put Jesus in the same word as me being able to do something. Because if I say Jesus saves me and I know I've saved somebody, maybe we're doing the same thing. Because my buddy was, he, we, were, we were in this lake and it was about this 150-yard swim to this island. And, and we were swimming out there and we were about midway, eight, nine feet of water. And he just says, I can't do it. And being a 14, 15-year-old young man, I was like, whatever. You know, just shut up. Keep going. And then I look back, and he's not there. And then all of a sudden, he pops up out of the water. And he's thrashing, he's splashing, and he's kicking, and he's screaming, he's bobbing. And I go over to grab hold of him. And what is the first thing he do? He pushes me under the water, right? And then I come up out of the water. I'm still trying to talk sense into him. And the next thing he does is he pushes me under the water again. He's now I'm on the bottom of the lake bed with his feet on my shoulders. He's breathing. I am not. <laughs> so I push off the lake bed. I come right up to the top. And pow, I punch him right in the face. Okay, it calms him down enough for me to get behind him and to get a hold of him. And then we swim to the, we swim to the island. And I saved him. I, I, I was telling somebody after this first service, I didn't realize I saved him. It was just something I did. So I don't want to put myself, even though I saved him in this temporal world, I don't want to put myself in that same vernacular as Jesus because Jesus does so much more. So when you break it down and you look at this Hebrew word that is in the text, the word save can also mean to deliver, to take somebody somewhere, to take something somewhere, to give it something, okay? To give it to somebody. And oh, by the, word, the, by the way, the word mighty one also translates into the word warrior. Now I'm excited. Delivering warrior, a warrior who delivers. I'm pumped about that, right? Okay? Now I'm like, that's not me, <laughs> all right? That's not me. Because you know what? Back before I was a believer, back before I gave my life to Jesus, and maybe some of you are the same way, I was just walking and doing my own world, my, doing my own life, doing what I wanted to, whenever I wanted it. You know, I was living selfishly, you know. I grew up in a home where my grandfather was a pastor of a church, but, you know, I got very little Jesus. I got some, so I did have people saying, you know, you got you to gotta find Jesus. Jesus needs to save you. And I'm like, save me. I'm just walking around. You know, what's the deal? I don't need saving. I got time. I got, I got more chances. I got all this stuff. And, and I just thought that I can do it on my own. 
Because I firmly believe, even though I had to punch him in the face, I believe if my friend had just calmed down, he could have swam to shore himself. I believe he could have. I believe he could have saved himself in that situation. And when we, before, we, before we give our lives to Jesus, that's what we do. We walk around thinking that I can save myself. We use the term lost. Well, guess what? I have been lost in my life, but I always find my way home. So if I talk about myself being lost, that means I can find my way. So the idea that, that Jesus does something way more than that. Jesus does something way more than that. Because I do not want to place myself in the role of Savior. You see, God's gift to us is life. It is life. And when I think about that, and I think about a warrior who delivers, I don't think about somebody who just, who just makes my life better, okay? Who grasps me for a short period of time. Because guess what Mark could have done, my buddy who's in the water? Mark could have gone back in that water and splashed around and got in trouble again, right? But, but Jesus delivers us to a point where we never go back in that water again. And so if he does that, what does this mean? This means that it's not about saving somebody. It's about bringing somebody from death to life. Delivering you from being dead to being alive. That's something I can't do. I can't bring somebody who's dead back to life. I need to give that to Jesus. Jesus is the one who battles death for us. He is the one standing in the gap for us. That, the life that he gives us is also eternal. It is forever. A life that is strong, that perseveres, that is based in truth. Uh, this truth that we learn says that, that our lives are sealed for eternity, forever and ever when we accept this new life. It is eternal. Now, that's something our minds can't grasp, right? We can't. One of my sons, eternity to him is like 4 p.m. today, okay? We can't grasp it, but it is forever. And something that lasts forever, I can't give a gift that it lasts forever. My stuff, there's probably toys or stuff broken today that they got on Friday, right? It just happens. I can't give that. But this gift doesn't, doesn't cost me anything. It's free, this gift is freely given to me. It is a love offering poured out because of Jesus' death on a cross. He, he was the sacrifice for all this, for once and for all, for all of the sin of the world. He was it. He was the perfect one. For those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the thing that got him put on that cross, they believe that he is the Son of God, that he died, actually died, and raised himself up from the dead, and now has ascended to heaven and is sitting beside God. If you believe that, guess what? You get this awesome free gift of life. You are no longer dead. You're no, it's not about wandering, trying to save yourself. It's that there's nothing, and now you have everything. Because you now get that, you get to be made righteous, meaning that you are, you are perfect and clean through your belief, and you can stand in front of God the Father with no worries, no guilt, no shame, no fear. You can stand right there, a perfect creation, the way that he wanted us to be from the very beginning. Because that was the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
He was the love offering. And for that, that great of a thing to be given to us, it could not be some puny little sacrifice. Could not be like three doves and a goat, right? Couldn't be that. It had to be a mighty sacrifice. One that was great. So when I teach with the students, a lot of times I'll say, big deal, so what? That's nice. But what does this really mean? This book right here, Jesus is the author. He's the main character. He's the hero of this entire book. It's all about him. And we cannot make him any less than that. When we make him less than that, we are elevating ourselves. We are saying we can do it. That we can stand and battle 800 people. That we can, we can fight until we can't fight anymore and then fight some more. That we can actually take a stand and say, you shall not pass. We say that we can do that on our own. And we can't. But by embracing this life that Jesus has given us, we can take that and, and we can go into this world and we can do battle. We can let warrior Jesus do his thing. We, got, we just finished celebrating a time where, where new life came, where Jesus came. And we're moving towards a time where we get to celebrate his conquering over death. I want you just to, for a few times, just consider this, this idea of the warrior Jesus. Because he's standing there ready and waiting to come again. And when he does, the darkness will flee. Light will reign forever and ever and ever. And let me tell you something. That's a mighty long time. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for being able to hang out with my family and my friends. Uh, thank you for your word. Most, th most importantly, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for this awesome gift that you gave us that we get to celebrate. We thank you for being our master and for imparting upon us a, a box of goodies. Because Jesus, we want to give you all that you are due. We want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And it is in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.